I'm Pastor Philip Jackson, and this is the Married Now What podcast. Our goal is to provide young couples with the resources they need to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. We are so glad that you're here. Let's get to the lesson. Whose voice can calm any wave, Jesus? While Philip is out, we're going to continue working through Psalm 119. So we've been doing this since uh, the end of August, and... Uh, when, when we started this long, drawn-out series, when we started going through Psalm 119, uh, I had a lot of fun going through looking at each individual letter, uh, seeing how it builds together to tell the story of the gospel just in the written language that God had given to the Hebrew people. But the more time that I spend studying Psalm 119, the more I'm reminded that God's Word is not just a book. It's not just black and red letters. It's not just, you know, the collection of the 66 books of poetry and and pastoral letters and things like that. It is, it testifies to itself when in Hebrews 4 it says that it is living and it is active. In Paul's letters when he tells us that it doesn't return, you know, void, that it is profitable for all things. And all through Psalm 119, it is a consistent praise from, from the psalmist of just how valuable and how sweet the word of God is. And it is convicting, it is encouraging. But if you if you ever find yourself wondering about the authority of scripture, the truth of scripture, go spend some time in Psalm 119 because the testimony of what scripture is and Psalm 119 testifying to that is is incredible. Uh the reason that Psalm 119 and the Psalms in general are so special for, for that kind of study and that kind of perspective is because of the way that Psalm, the Psalms are unique compared to the rest of Scripture. So we know that Scripture is, it's the inspired text. Um, it's the inspired written word of God that he's given to us through multiple authors over generations. But What's different about Psalm, the Psalms compared to the rest of Scripture is the rest of Scripture is seen as and understood as God speaking to us, whereas the Psalms is us speaking back to God in a way. It's almost our return love letter to him of just testifying about how good he is, praising the wonders of, of his works, his strength, his majesty, uh, his grace, his justice, all of that is found in the Psalms. And Psalm 119 is the culmination of all of that in the length of its letter, in the style of it, or the, the length of, of the chapter. It is designed to praise God's word. And, and that's what it is. And so if, again, if you ever find yourself wrestling with the authority of scripture, wrestling with it, spend some time in the Psalms, but especially spend some time in Psalm 119 because it will revitalize the way that you view scripture. So we're going to take a little bit of a background on what we've talked about so far, and then we'll jump into um, verses 33 through 48. Yeah, so we're going to continue to just cover two sections. So the first week we talk about Aleph and Beth, uh, the first two letters. So remember, Hebrew is written uh, right to left, top to bottom, not left to right, the way that we use our alphabet. So Aleph and Beth 
uh, when you look at what they actually mean and the things that they represent, just like our language A means, you know, grade A, you did a great job. Grade B or, you know, the B team, you're, you know, your second string. Hebrew has the same kind of things going on in, in their written language. So Aleph represents God, um, the founder, the originator, the strength behind all things. It starts with God. Beth, <clears throat> or yeah, Beth, the second letter, uh, it symbolizes a house or it symbolizes dwelling or abiding, but specifically dwelling or abiding in the lower half of creation, or as the, the Hebrew people would have understood it to be the heavens or the earth. So the first two letters say God abides on the earth. The word becomes flesh. Jesus comes and lives among us. Then we moved into Gimel and Dalet. So Gimel is uh, not just um, talking about showing loving kindness, but the way that the Hebrew language is written, it actually displays somebody running after the next letter, Daleth. So Daleth is supposed to represent somebody who is so impoverished, so broken, so needy that they are just, they're bent over. They can't even afford to, to hold themselves upright. It's that much um, humility. And not because they're, they're a humble person, but because they are almost ashamed of themselves. They're broken. And so when we start over, we see God comes and bides on the earth to show loving kindness to the broken. Today, we're going to look at the next two letters. We're going to look at the letter Hey and the letter Bob. So Hey means behold, look, come, come see this. And then Vav uh, is an image of being united or connected. And so we get to continue to see with these next two letters that the gospel is still being proclaimed just in this written language. So God abides on the earth to show loving kindness to the broken. Behold, we're united. And next week, we're going to take a look at how this continues in the next couple of letters. But starting in verse 33, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. Starting in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant the promise that you may be feared. Turn away the, the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. So again, when we read the Psalms, we, we can't look at them the same. We have to think about them in a different way than we look at Paul's letters or uh, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, or the Judges, um, even Proverbs, we have to look at differently than, way that, than the way that we read Psalms. <clears throat> but we get to see that when we read it differently, but still with the reverence that it is God's word, we, we find it to be a gift. We, we find a way that we can cherish it. And so verses 33 and through 35 is talking about how God's word is a gift that never ends, and it continue, It is the gift that keeps on giving. And so, verses 33 through 35, there's three different things that the psalmist uses to talk about how, how the word of God is a gift to us. So first, in verse 33, he says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. So, in Hebrew, the word teach actually refers to throwing something or, or letting loose an arrow from a bow. And we say it pretty often uh, here at Evergreen, or maybe you've heard it somewhere else, that 
Discipleship is caught, not taught. It, it comes with spending time around other people. It comes with exposure. It's not necessarily this formal sit down, let me give you a lecture, let me give you a sermon or a lesson. Let me just, let's spend time together. And that's that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He walked with them. When you look at Elijah and Elisha, Joshua and Moses, they spent time with their their mentors, with their teachers. And that's what made them a disciple of their teacher is the time that they spent with them. And so the same thing applies when it comes to the word of God. The word of God, we can sit and we can study it. There are biblical scholars all over the country, all over the world, that they are devout atheists. They, they are probably better experts on the Gospels and Paul's letters and the, histori- the history of it, but uh, they don't cherish the Word of God. So they are scholars 100% in their minds, but they have not let it saturate their hearts. And so if we want to become disciples of God's Word, if we really want to chase after Jesus, if we want to look more like Jesus, we have to be spending time in God's Word. And so that's something to, to look at yourself you know, the, the way that you spend your time, even if you are spending consistent time in the Word, how is that time in the Word? Are you distracted? Is it short? Is it rushed? Or are you making the time? Are you sacrificing potentially sleep? Are you sacrificing, you know, a Starbucks run in the morning? Think about how much time, if you're stopping at Starbucks, waiting in that long line, if you just made coffee at home or got something a little bit cheaper, you know, how much time you could spend still in the Word if, if you would make that one little change. So think about the things that you have in your life that you could sacrifice to make your time in the Word richer because becoming more like Jesus, being His disciples, comes from spending time in the Word. It's caught, not taught. In verse 34, he says, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So again, we've moved from teach me, O Lord, your ways, to give me understanding. So the word give is also... Um, it talks about the giver possesses something that we want or need. So again, if we're thinking about this in the way that we, the, that the Psalms reflect the way that we see God's word, the way that we see God, and it's our love letter back to him. He has this word. He has this, this life, this understanding um, that, that we want it. We need it. We have to have it. We should always be content with what the Lord uh, has given us, but we should never, um, I just lost the other word, we should never be complacent. And so if you never got to read the word again, if, if the government came in tomorrow and restricted the way that we can read, or if your house you know, burned down and you, and you lost your Bible and, and your phone stopped working, we couldn't get those you know, the Bible on our phone, if you never had the chance to get to the Word again, is it hidden well enough in your heart to where it is still in you? But you wouldn't be complacent to not go chase it down again. And so we should be content with what the Lord has chosen to give to us, with what the Lord has in His infinite wisdom given us in His Word, but we shouldn't be complacent to not read it. We shouldn't think that it's okay to just have a Bible and break it open on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. No, the Lord has given this to us as as daily bread. It is daily nourishment for our souls. And if we are not spending time in it, if we are not looking at it as something that we absolutely need, the same way that we need food, we need water, we will spiritually starve and die. And so we need to be able to view God's word as something 
to be chased after, something that we absolutely need for, for our survival. And then verse 35, he says, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. We've seen this concept, <clears throat> excuse me, we've seen this concept of delight in God's word consistently up to this point in Psalm 119. And it's this idea of, of taking joy in something. Um, in, in the Hebrew, it, it actually kind of relates to hobbying in something and not, not to take the word of God down to just a hobby, but it's something that we enjoy. It's something that we make time for. It's something that we invest in. It's something that we, we find satisfaction and gratification in is spending time in God's word. We delight in it. It is a joy to do that. It's not a chore. You know, it, Beck and I have been talking for the last few weeks about how when, you know, when the new year starts, everybody talks about their, their new year's resolutions and, a lot of people start with, well, I'm going to read the Bible every single day. But then some people, and I found myself in the same situation, you begin to feel legalistic. Like, I have to read my Bible. I just need to do it. Well, when you're developing a discipline of a habit, it's going to feel legalistic at first. But the next thing you know, after the month of January, maybe after February, you're going to realize that on March 1st, you're going to wake up and you're going to want to spend time in the Word. You're going to want to, to go spend time with, with your Lord and hearing what He has to say to you. You're going to want that. It's not going to feel legalistic, but you have to be disciplined in that habit. And you have to, you have to make it, I have to read my Bible because in 30, 60, 90 days, it's going to be, it's going to change from I have to read my Bible to I get to, I want to read my Bible. And so we have to look at it. We have to look at it as something that we delight in. But in verse 35, he says, lead me in the path of your commandments. So the word lead in Hebrew is actually referencing a military march or a campaign. So anybody that has family in the military, who has served in the military, if you've done ROTC, we marched everywhere and it was terrible. But it, again, it kind of goes back to that discipline thing. Marching is really not uh, much different from walking. You're just a little more rigid with it. But when you're starting to teach somebody to march, suddenly they forget how to walk. Um, their right arm goes with their right leg and their left arm goes with their left leg and they just, they get so disoriented and they just, they look like, like a baby giraffe or something. <laughs> but the point of structuring for military marches of campaign is there is a goal. There is something that you're pursuing. You're pursuing to advance and take over where you're, where you're going. You're, you're creating this, this unit, this structure of this group that is working cohesively for a common goal. And so when we say, lead me in the path of your commandments, lead me on this military march or campaign, we are taking the kingdom of God through the love of Christ to the world around us. Just like when we spend time with our neighbors or just when we're praying over um, our foster kids or we're praying over our students and we are going into these workplaces and we're going um, to even the store and seeing the cashier we are spending time with people to show them the love of Christ. And the only way that we can know how to show the love of Christ accurately, truly, and to let it actually be Jesus's love displayed to them is spending time in the word. That is the only way that we're going to be able to do it. Otherwise, we are bringing them a false gospel. We're bringing them Levi's gospel or John's gospel, not the gospel of John, but we're, we're bringing something that is not not God's word, if we're not spending time and sourcing it from God's word. And so we have to see this as it is a gift that never ends, that we are consistently going back to. 
you know, Christmas was just uh, a month ago. And think about how some of those gifts that you got, how you went back to them, how you enjoy them. You know, maybe you got um, a new piece of, of kitchen equipment or you got a new pair of shoes. Like you're using that, that pot or that skillet or you're wearing those shoes as often as possible because you enjoy this gift. And Becca's laughing at me because I'm wearing Christmas gift shoes right now. And so, <laughs> but you enjoy that gift. And so you go back and you get it again and again and again. For those of you that have little children, they, they probably played with that new toy. They're probably still playing with it because they keep going back to because they find joy in it. And that's the way that we should view God's word. It is daily a gift that we get to spend time with our Savior. We get to spend time with our Lord and we get to hear from him. Moving on to verses 36 and 37. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So what we see in verses 36 and 37 is that God's word is going to keep our eyes focused and our hearts upright. Uh, there's this prayer that, that the psalmist has of, you know, keep my eyes from looking at these worthless things. The only way that we're going to see God's will in our lives. That, that's a consistent prayer that everybody has. Like, God, just show me your will. Have you spent time in his word? Ask yourself that. Because he's, he's made his, his will, his plan, everything abundantly clear in these pages. He has made it obvious and he has given it to us. And so if you're not sure what the, the will of God is, go open your Bible. But then he also says, where to go? Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your way. So the Hebrew word for worthless, um, worthless things. I'm sorry, I meant in verse 36. So uh, incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. So the word selfish in Hebrew is is not just uh, I want it, it's for me. It's actually talking about a dishonest gain. So it's it's theft, it's perversion of this gift. So if God's word is a gift, selfish gain is is corrupting that gift. So we see that in false gospels. But we also see it in the way that the enemy perverts everything that the Lord has given us. You know, there there's a rampant issue of of pornography and, and divorce and affairs, even within the church. If you look at the statistics, divorce in the church is not drastically different from divorce in the secular world. But it's because the enemy has perverted the way that we see marriage. And right now, with where all of us are at in our lives early on in our marriage, building our building our families, we have the opportunity to build our homes on the foundation of Scripture. Philip has been posing the question for the car because we all get stuck in traffic as we're leaving church. And we, we have that time to sit and talk with our spouse and even talk with our children about, you know, different things that the Lord is, is showing us and teaching us. And so many of the, th- the questions that Philip has given us over the last, you know, few weeks has been, how are we building the culture of our home to revolve around the truth of Scripture? Are we teaching our ourselves, our children? Are we making it a priority in our home to value scripture, to value this community, to value the church? Are we letting scripture inform the cultures of our home, the cultures of our marriage? Are we doing that? Or are we allowing the enemy to pervert those things because of the world that we live in? Philippians 4 uh, talks of this very thing where Paul tells us that we need to set our minds on things that are pure and holy and true and good. But the only way that we can do that is by spending time in the word. It, it always comes back to spending time in, in the word as a gift. Moving on to 38 through 40. 
Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared and turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. So one of the consistent themes throughout Psalm 119 up to this point is that the word of God is life-giving and it is faithful to its promise. Again, we go back to what Paul says in his letters that the word of God does not return void. It is useful for all things, whether it's correction or discipleship or teaching or, or rebuke. It is beneficial no matter when you use it. So you will never find wasted time in the word. Now, if you're doing the one-year Bible or something, you're probably getting close to some genealogies at this point, or maybe you've already you know, gotten to some of those long lists of names that you can't pronounce. It's not wasted time. Because uh, I don't know all of the details behind it, but I've heard it enough times to know that if you look at the genealogy between uh, Adam and Noah, and you look at the definitions of each of those names, it's the gospel. It talks about God coming to earth to redeem his people and then to give them rest for their souls. Like that is, that's the gospel. And you see that just in the definitions of names. That's why God made such a big deal of names in changing uh, Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah, which we're going to look at in the next uh, in the next letter. But we also get, or no, we'll look at that in just a second. Uh, but you get to see that even in the letters that made up the written language, God is boasting in the gospel. You will never find wasted time in scripture if you are sitting listening for what the Spirit has to say. So some some of the technical details, though, moving on, technical details behind the letter, hey, like we said earlier, it, it means behold, look, come see this. Uh, but it is a combination of Daleth, this letter, and another letter that we'll look at in, next, you know, in the next few lessons of, uh, it's called Yod. And actually this right here, uh, this part of Aleph, these two, they're, it's an upper Yod and a lower Yod. So it's, it's part of the structure of the letter. But um, in rabbinic uh, ra- rabbi teachings, there's this concept called a midrash. Uh, and midrash is essentially what it is it is uh, rabbis performing exegesis on the Old Testament. That It's their preaching, it's their study. But according to one midrash, there's actually a legend behind the development of the letter Hey that um, one of the yods representing God this upper yod here left Aleph to come hang out with the broken. So the Spirit of God came and hung out with the broken and developed this look, behold, and then we move on to we're united. And so that's where we get to see we're talking about Abram and Sarah changing to Abraham and Sarah. When their names were changed, it's because the letter He was added to their names. And so Abram became Abraham because God dwelt with him. His spirit came upon him. Sarai became Sarah because of the same reason. It is a picture, the letter hey is a picture of God coming and dwelling with us. So you don't even need the whole alphabet to boast in the gospel. You need one letter to show that God comes and lives with his people. Some of the other things that it can represent is uh, it's got the, the value of five um, some people say that it, it reflects and represents God's creative power, uh, our five senses, the five fingers. It, it's a sense of, of five. And so the letter hey in verses 33 through 40, we get to see that it is a gift from God. The, God's word is a gift, but we also see that in the structure of the letter, it's also a gift that God chose to come and dwell among us and indwell his spirit among us. We get to see that 
he came and abide to show loving kindness to the broken. So it's just it's a repeat of everything we've seen up to this point. Moving on to uh, the next section, Vav, verses 41 through 48. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Take not the word of truth utterly from my mouth, for my hope is in your rules, and I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts, and I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So in verses uh, 41 through 42, well, let's let's back up a little bit and let's start by looking at some of the technicalities behind Vav. So it's a straight line. Nothing super fancy about that, but it's meant to be an image of a tent peg, the thing that helped stand up the tabernacle, you know, when they when they stood up the tent of meeting and, and the tent of God's dwelling place in the wilderness, they had to stretch out this canvas tent and hold in the ground with stakes. And the Vav, the letter Vav, is meant to be a, a callback to that. When you look at each new column, if you look at the way that the Torah is written in, in Hebrew, each paragraph or each column starts with a Vav to hold it in place, to to connect it to the next thing. So every single time they write a new column, they start with um, an actually a larger vav than the rest of the text has. And it's meant to do that because it's symbolizing connection, showing that God dwells in Scripture. He dwells among his people. It has, uh, and then it has a value of six. So uh, there's the six days of creation that it might talk about. Uh, some people even say it references the 600,000 men that were accounted for in the wandering of the desert uh, in the 40 years of exile before, not exile, um, of the exodus before they got to take uh, the land of Canaan, the promised land. So again, there, there's some different ways that Vav can be seen, but it ultimately comes back to connection, security, being rooted and grounded in something, which you get to see throughout the rest of the text. So coming back to to scripture, verse 41 says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, because I trust in your word. So we should be so connected to God's word that not only does it become our answer, it becomes our defense. We find people that taunt us. The media taunts us. Uh, there's influencers that taunt us. There is politicians that taunt us. Uh, co-workers that taunt us. We, we find it all over the place that because of our faith there there's almost a pity that people have on us like oh silly you you believe that that silly bible but it, it's not because it is our foundation it is the thing that it gives us our answer it gives us the defense of 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 our faith you know our answer ultimately needs to come back and be god's answer if somebody is challenging uh your faith scripture tells us to to point back to our testimony, to point back about the way that God has saved us. But no matter how different your testimony may be from mine or your, the person sitting next to you, it comes down to the exact same thing that God chose to come and dwell among us and show us loving kindness because we were broken and we need him. And now looking to Vav, we're united back to the Father through Jesus. That's our that is every single person's testimony. And no matter what somebody, a biblical scholar who wants to tear, a critical biblical scholar who wants to tear this apart, or um, 
you know, a, a militant atheist who just hates Christianity and everything it stands for, they, the one thing they can never take away from you is the work that Jesus has done in your life. And that, that moving on later, like, that's why we share testimonies. That's why we talk about doing that every Sunday morning. That's why we invite neighbors over to our houses and we, we talk to our students and we, we talk to our foster children because we are, we are not ashamed of what God has done. We shouldn't be ashamed. Later on, the psalmist even says, I will speak before kings and I will not be put to shame. I will speak of your testimonies. Uh, Jesus even tells us this in Luke 21, where he says, there will come a day where they will call you before kings and courts and rulers, and you will speak my, and I will give you the words to speak. And it is a promise that's calling straight back to this, that we don't have to be ashamed of what God has given us. So the time that you spend in your word, again, it's not going to be wasted time. It's not going to turn void. We should be eager to share testimonies on Sunday mornings. We shouldn't be waiting for one person to speak up. We should be waiting for somebody to, for a lull in the shared testimony to say, okay, we, we got to get to the teaching. We should be, sh- we should be sharing and so excited about what God is teaching us. Again, I, I just want to encourage you guys to go look at your quiet times. Look at the way that it's structured. If you are spending time in the Word daily, is it, is it rushed? Are you waiting to get in that Starbucks line? Like, are you factoring that into your quiet time? Like, okay, I've only got 15 minutes to read because I'm going to have a 45-minute wait in Starbucks or, or Panera, wherever. Like, what if you just reversed that? Is your time in the Word saturating you to where when you show up on Sunday or when your neighbor comes over or the grocery store clerk talks to you or your students or your coworker, whoever it is, when they ask you about your faith, you are just chomping at the bit to tell them what you read this morning, what God is doing in your life. We should be excited here of all places to talk about what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. We're told that we won't be put to shame before kings, but that we will, we will have boldness. And if we're not going to be put to shame before kings, we should not be put to shame in front of each other. It doesn't matter who's teaching, who's in here, whether it's a, a large full crowd or it's not. We should be eager to share what God is doing in our lives. And we should never part from it. Verses 44 through 45. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. Never departing from God's word. So when the psalmist says, I will keep your law forever and ever, he is literally meaning forever and ever and ever and ever. Never, never ending, never ceasing. Always being tethered to God's word. And uh, and then he says, it is... I shall walk in a wide place. So other other translations of Scripture say that I, I will walk freely, I will walk securely. What that verse is talking about is having a firm foundation to stand on, being confident in where you're walking. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go hike in Zion Mountain National Park in Utah. And there's a hike there called Angel's Landing. And it, it's a doozy of a hike, but at one point, as you're you're trying to get to the the very end of the hike. You're hiking through this canyon. There comes a point to where you're walking on a narrow ledge, but you're, you're still able to pass two at a time. So you're going up to the summit. People are coming down from the summit. But eventually you hit this point where you are walking on basically a knife's edge. And the only thing you have to hold on to that's going to keep you from falling to the canyon floor is a chain that's bolted into the rocks. No climbing gear. You're just, you're hiking up and you're holding on to this. And there's one chain. 
And so as you're going up to the summit, there's people that are coming down. You have to find a way to like swing around them and everything. Since I got to hike on it, they've actually declared it like <laughs> they've actually declared it one of the most dangerous hikes in the U.S. And you only get it through a lottery system. Um, so you can't just go climb up the chain anymore. Uh, but when I went there, like I'm not scared of heights and but I was terrified doing that. Like if I if I miss grip one time, like th this is it. Um, <laughs> But as as you're but once you make it past that knife's edge, you're on a wide place again, and the view up there is just it's a 360 degree view of standing around, and you just get to see this canyon, and it is unreal just to see just the canyon is it, it's I have no words, um, but I did take pictures, so I'll put them on the Facebook page later because it, it, I couldn't not take pictures up there. But being able to make it past that chain and stand on that wider place even though i was even higher up than i was on the chain i had something wide and firm to stand on and i felt just as secure standing up there as i did on the canyon floor where i had no risk of falling um, or, or plummeting to my death because i had something firm to stand on and that's what god's word is for us when we are in a world where um, up is down boys are girls men are women nothing is anything when you just everything is nonsense which is what we see every single day when you see that it is confusing and there is no way that we can actually establish morality or or there's no way that we can establish truth unless we come back to god's word god's word is our foundation it is our wide place to run um it says i'll walk freely in this wide place because i've sought your precepts if if you or someone that you know views the word of God as restrictive or oppressive or old fashioned, they are not viewing the word of God properly. If that's how you see it, check the way that you see scripture. It is freeing to be able to live the way that God has called us to live. Um, I know that some people are not fans of rules. I'm a pretty big fan of rules, but I see rules as, as safeguards. The reason that we have laws in this country is they are safeguards. Um, if you, I know a lot of people are getting into chickens. So like you build a chicken coop though, not to restrict your chickens, but to keep them safe from harm's way. You build a fence to keep your children safe so they don't run into the street. That's the way that God's word is for us. When he gives us these parameters of this is what marriage should look like. It's not because he wants to spoil any kind of fun, but it's because he wants you to enjoy the richness of marriage as he intended it to be, the way that he designed it to be in creation. He wants you to raise your children a certain way, to live um, above reproach according to his law, not because he's trying to be a cosmic killjoy, but because he loves you and he truly wants the best for you. He tells us that Jesus tells us he came to give us life and life to the fullest, not restricted life. He came to give us something good. And so the only way we're going to find that is by rooting ourselves in God's word. We love the Lord and his commandments out of response because he first loved us. That's what we go back to. It's it, Again, he's not this cosmic killjoy or authoritarian. Um, he's not a tyrant or a dictator. He is a loving father pleading with his children to follow his ways. He's a benevolent king who is showing us what is best. And he is the one true God who is infinitely good beyond all of our comprehension or imagination. And those are the things that make him worthy of all praise, glory, and honor. And 
that is that is the way to see God's word. That is what Psalm 119 is getting at, is that is how good God is. Everything that God has spoken to us up to Psalms, everything that he speaks to us after Psalms, the Psalms is our opportunity to to pray and to praise back to him straight from his word to where we can say, I find my delight in your commandments. I love them. And I will lift up my hands towards your commandments. I love them. And I will meditate on your statutes. So if you guys are finding yourself struggling with God's word, if you're doing the one-year Bible or if you're, you've just always struggled to have fruitful or, or meaningful quiet times, you feel, um, you know, you don't get much out of it, maybe jump back to the Psalms. Jump back to Psalm 119 and see how we ought to be viewing God's Word. See how God wants us to view God's Word. Because it is a gift. It is something that we should be rooted in. And it, it's not going to be any wasted time. Who carries the power? If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Married Now What podcast is a ministry of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is meant to be a resource for in-depth Bible study for couples striving to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org. I've tried.